On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. It's time for our Hidden Histories with Donald Fallon. I, of course, am not in Dublin. I am live at News Talk's Cork studio this lunchtime at the Republic of Work on the South Mall. But Donald Fallon uh, is back in base and he's going to tell us about a commemorative bench in Dublin which honours James Joyce, Dubliner, and his father, John Stanislaus Joyce, Corkonian, because John was many things in life and it's highly likely that the, the book that we've been spent the last week talking about, Ulysses, uh, would never have been the same uh, had John Joyce not been around. Uh, it's a story that begins in Cork, Donald, which finds its own way in, in Paris, strangely enough. And amazingly, John Joyce seemingly had, had every job under the sun, or at least briefly. Yeah, in, in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, Stephen Dedalus, who I think Joyce, in no small part, models on himself, uh, describes his own daddy thus. He describes his father as a medical student, an oarsman, a tenor, an amateur actor, a shouting politician, a small landlord, a small investor, a drinker, a good fellow, a storyteller, somebody's secretary, something in a distillery, a tax gatherer, a bankrupt, and a present appraiser of his own past. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great description of someone, isn't it? Yeah, it's impressive. And yeah, yeah, undoubtedly, as much as it's a description of Stephen Dedalus's father, it's a description of his own father, our, our subject today. And, you know, uh, a man who may not have produced Ulysses, but who produced James Joyce himself. Joyce's father is centrally important uh, to the story of, of James Joyce and indeed that book. And later on, James Joyce, who, who didn't hand out praise too freely, mm-hmm. he could admit that hundreds of pages and scores of characters in my book came from him. The humour of Ulysses is his. Its people are his friends. The book is his spitting image. And I think wow. the story of the man we're talking about today uh, at times every bit as exciting as the world his son would produce uh, on paper. All right, so let's talk more then about John Stanislaus Joyce. Um, his Cork beginnings uh, were middle class, if not even maybe more privileged than middle class. And he recalled them fairly fondly. Yeah, born in, in Cork in July 1849, went to St. Coleman's College in Formoy, goes on to Queen's College Cork to study medicine, but doesn't graduate. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he, he spoke of his Cork childhood and young manhood with affection. Uh, there is not a field in County Cork that I don't know, for I hunted them all, and I now go through all these hunts and the jollifications that we used to have after them. Uh, and on the death of his father, John Joyce inherits kind of numerous properties in Cork. Uh, and that was a bit of a poison chalice, really. You know, the, the, the worst thing in his hand was probably numerous properties, because that gives him the ability to move to Dublin in the 1860s. Okay. Uh, and in time he kind of squanders the money as often happens and one historian perhaps being very kind uh, has described him as a spectacularly inadequate breadwinner <laughs> Sorry you think that's being kind <laughs> yeah. calling someone spectacularly <laughs> inadequate You could say worse of John Joyce than spectacularly inadequate breadwinner but you know at the age of 40 40 years of age he lost what was a relatively cosy number uh, in the rates office you know a famously difficult place to be sacked from uh, and, and just spiralled uh, into drink and really once once that began it, it didn't end um, He falls for a publican's daughter which, which you know maybe is, is a follow-on from the amount of time that he spent in, in the various licensed premises. Um, but the family w- was fairly big, even by the standards of the day. Yeah, he, he falls for, for May Murray, daughter of a Terenure Republican. They had a large family, you know, larger than, than you know, they could sustain. And even, even by the standards of the day, you know, even by the standards of Victorian society, it was a, it was a big, mm. big family. One biographer writes of how they had a large family, only 10 of whom survived childhood. I mean, that's some wow. use of the word only, isn't it? Yeah. And in the absence of kind of good, regular employment... Um, with a hectic social life to maintain. The family moved around an awful lot. It, it's absolutely in, in, incredible if you had to just walk 
through suburban Dublin. There's plaques to James Joyce everywhere. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the Blair Witch Project. Things just going around in circles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're actually passing different <laughs> houses that you can't believe. James Joyce lived here. James yeah. Joyce lived here. We passed that one earlier on. Now it's a different one. Yeah. Uh, the Joyce family. <laughs> They tumbled downwards. I mean, there was 15 addresses, at least 15 addresses uh, that they lived in, in Dublin. And, and Joyce later spoke of the haunted ink pots uh, that they moved from one house to the other. But there's a really good little anecdote about the, the constant moving around. Uh, Joyce's friend, C.P. Curran, who went to college with him, um, he, he told this great story in his memoir. He said, One tale told of a night's drinking with friends of John Joyce uh, when he'd been living far out beyond Clontarf. Helpless and protesting, he was pushed into the last Dollymount tram and put in the charge of the conductor. Faithful to his trust and in spite of all protests, the conductor allowed him to alight only at the midnight stop when they reached Dollymount. His friends met him the next day and made due inquiries as to how he got home. His language was more than usually fearful. Unknown to them a day or two earlier and in customary haste, he'd moved camp to Fibsborough, a quite other quarter of the city. So they thought they were doing good pushing him on the tram and saying, don't let him off till Donnymount. Little yeah. did they know he'd moved. But look, moving the whole family, not paying the rent and worrying about it later, unfortunately, was a characteristic of John Joyce. Yeah, and like moving the whole family when when 10 of the children like managed to survive into childhood, that that's a, that, that's a serious schlep. Um, the biggest influence that he had on his famous son was probably undoubtedly around... Um, the role in the life of Charles Stuart Parnell and this sense that Parnell had been betrayed in some way. Yeah, we touched on on on, on the Catherine O'Shea story a couple of mm. weeks ago on, on this slot. I mean, the real influence I think that that John had over over James was was around that, as you say. I mean, when when Joyce was describing all the things his father was, he omitted one crucially important thing, maybe the biggest thing, Parnellite. Uh, that oh, was that yeah. was you know the uncrowned king of Ireland, Charles Stuart Parnell. The way that Parnell was brought down, the scandal of uh, of, mm. of the way Parnell was brought down. I think that was the single most important formative influence in in, in young James Joyce in creating a kind of sense of anti clericalism uh, within him. Yeah. And and to put it in context, I mean Joyce is born in eighteen eighty two, eighteen ninety one. He's a nine year old child, and he writes a poem about the passing of Parnell. And his dad liked it so much that he got it printed. Wow. distributed it widely and actually lore has it that John was so angry at the Catholic Church we felt it ruined Parnell's life he actually sent a copy of this poem by his nine-year-old child to the Vatican Wow so, <laughs> this, Just bypassed this, the, the apostolic nuncio Yeah exactly there, This is how, this is how, this is how out, the Joyce yeah. family in Dublin feel about you <laughs> but you know it wasn't an uncommon feeling that the church betrayed Parnell there was mm. a, a great wreath at, at Parnell's funeral sent by the Fenians I think tongue firmly in cheek yeah. that said murdered by priests but this idea that you know that Parnell had been brought down by a rotten church mm. John really puts that into James Joyce's head and the kind of the martyrology we might say around Parnell never leaves Joyce Yeah as we say we actually did a slot on that on Hidden Histories a few weeks back I'm going to actually dig out the link and I'll tweet it back again when I'm tweeting the link to this one as well that slot about uh, Catherine O'Shea as you call her better remembered as Kitty O'Shea and people not realising now that Kitty is uh, is a bit of a double entendre because mm. when people say Kitty what they really mean is is a hussy or a whore or a prostitute or someone who's who's a, a bit a bit lax with their morals. Um, back on topic though, James Joyce, um, after achieving some fame, he actually had really good painting of his dad commissioned. Yeah, so we get some sense of John the, uh, and James' love from him. He, he commissioned the painter Patrick Toohey. Amazing guy, Patrick Toohey. 1916 veteran, great talent, born with one hand, which is incredible. Wow. You know, and, and goes on, learns to paint to a really brilliant uh, standard. And the painting that he did of, of, of the father is actually in Buffalo, in New York, where they've got this amazing uh, James Joyce collection. But it's entitled A Portrait of a Dublin Gentleman. 
which is great because mm. John always referred to himself as a, a gentleman, even as he was kind of tumbling down in the world, you know, from, from mm. the middle class. Uh, but it's a great work of art that really captures the, the mischievous nature of the man. And some people have it. There's a mischievousness in the eyes. Mm. And you see that in that great painting of, of, of John Joyce. I can imagine the hordes gathering outside our studios now when they hear that it's called a Dublin gentleman, because if he was a true Corkman, he wouldn't stand for that kind of a thing, <laughs> even though the, the title was only given after his passing. And what's amazing, though, as Ulysses grew in fame and as it became sort of known as one of these these breakthrough books of the 20th century, he even became something of a tourist attraction that there was people coming to Dublin who wanted to meet James Joyce's old man. Yeah, one, one writer remembered visiting the Dublin of the late 20s. It's a great account. The three of us set ourselves down to a bottle of Dublin whiskey, which we had brought. He assured me that he was fond of his son, James, but the boy was mad entirely. But he couldn't help admiring the lad for the way he'd written of Dublin as it was and many a chuckle it gave him. I'd never seen a more intense face than that of old man Joyce. Absolutely brilliant. People arriving at your house with a bottle of whiskey uh, wanting to talk to you. Well, he, he dies in December uh, 1931. And I think what's, what's amazing is he, he leaves £665 in, in the will somehow, but he leaves it all to James. All to and James. Not to the, and the rest of his, yeah, his many children. Which is extraordinary. So he has a strange relationship with his son James, but he, he deep down loves and respects him. Mm. And then they bury him in Glasnevin Cemetery, which is you know a, a place really evoked uh, in the work of, of, of James Joyce. Uh, and we said at the outset that this is a story which begins in Cork and ends uh, in Paris, because that's where then the, there's a really odd, although in, in some ways quite moving, tribute paid to John Joyce when James learns of his father's passing. When he hears that, that John has left this world for the next, he, he asks a friend in Paris to do something for him which is really strange he he gives her a sum of money uh, and he says please put that into the hands of the first down and out drunk or homeless person you see uh, and tell them it's in memory of John Joyce and one account has it she scoured Paris for a suitable target and eventually found an elderly homeless man asleep on one of the gratings of the Paris I the, the Paris was so grand that you had to go scour the place to look for a down it's, and out there weren't just many of yeah, them within eyeshot isn't that, isn't that incredible mm. but Joyce felt that was the most fitting tribute to to his father and this man when he was awoke and couldn't believe it, just took the money and ran, you know. But it was a strange tribute to uh, to an unusual character, and you know that little Parisian tribute. I think it was important to Joyce, though, a kind of a way of marking uh, the passing of a of a formative influence. So yeah, Ulysses may be the story of one day in Dublin, uh, but that great Corkonian, uh, John Joyce, is a, is is at the heart of it too. And uh, and some man of the Paris Metro still managed to maybe have a, a bit of a decent time at his uh, in his memory as well. Uh, Donald Fallon, fascinating stuff as ever. Donald Fallon is the author of Ten, uh, Henrietta Street and Tenement of Suburbia, which is about Dublin's uh, journey through the 20th century. He's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which is about the history of the nominal capital city, at least, uh, <laughs> and uh, all, all things Dublin history as well, uh, which we might indulge a little bit more when we're back in the Big Spoke next week. Donald, thank you very much. On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.